The Controversial Claims Part 2. And so if you turn there, we'll pick up uh, in verse 30. And I want to kind of set the stage for this by kind of reminding, I don't know how many of you, you know, I, I kind of actually enjoy infomercials uh, because they're totally mindless. But they make some pretty outlandish claims, amen? I don't know, for those of you that, that watched the one maybe a year or so ago from Flex Seal, and they showed a bass boat where they cut the bottom of the boat out and put screen in there and then sprayed this goo on it. Uh, I'm thinking that is not a good thing to do to your bass boat. Uh, that was a pretty outlandish claim that you, you can take and put the screen door material in the bottom of your boat, spray it with some goo, and you should go fishing in that. I'm thinking the only thing you're going to be doing is swimming after a while. So that, that's an outlandish claim. That's a controversial claim. It's something that that company, no way can they deliver on that 100% of the time. I was reading about this hand cream that was made by Nivea that supposedly had white tea extract in it, and it was supposed to reverse the effects of aging. And I'm thinking, squeeze me a tub of that. I'm going in. <laughs> Just like, I, I'm thinking, no, it's not happening. For those of you that, you know, if you're like me, I, I hate plumbing problems. Well, there's this stuff called fix tape, and you can have a leaky pipe. You can have a hole in a main water line going into your house. You just grab this tape, wrap it around it, and voila, for nine seconds, you'll have no more leak. Now, it, 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 people make claims all the time that when you actually dig into the substance of it, you, you can't substantiate them. But here Jesus is going to make three very controversial claims to go along with the one he's already made, this fourfold witness that Jesus Christ is God and that he was sent by God for the very specific purpose that through him we might have life. These claims are very controversial. And they would be even more controversial in light of who they're being spoken to. And that's this crowd that's in the outer court, likely the court of the Gentiles, who are now witnessing this man who's been healed. He was at the pool of Bethesda, but he's now broken the Sabbath. He's picked up his bed, and he's completely healed, and he's wandering around telling people about it. And so Jesus is now going to bear witness in three very specific ways of how, in fact, these things do prove that he is God. And so would you turn now with me, and we'll pick up in verse 30, and we'll look here, which is really a, a picture uh, of what the book of Titus reminds you, that we have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the picture now that Jesus himself is going to add to what he's already said. Verse 30, I can of myself do nothing, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Now, again, remember, this is Jewish people. These are the religious leaders of the day. And when he says, what I do is righteous, he's making the equivalence that he, in fact, is acting with the righteousness of Yahweh. Jehovah of God. He's saying, what I, what I do, my judgment is perfect in that sense. 
because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So he's already said that I and my Father are one. He's declared that we're the same, that he is God. And now he goes on to say, I I want you to get this picture locked into your mind, into your heart. Because if Jesus Christ was not God incarnate in human flesh, then he did not fulfill that which was said about Messiah. He would also then not be able to pay the price for your sin because, in fact, it would take the perfection of God dying for your sin, which Jesus has, that enables you to be freed because the penalty for your sin would actually be paid. Not mostly paid, but completely paid. And so Jesus goes on, For if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. This is a simple thing that Jesus is saying, and he's reminding us of our own day and time because we much have the same situation. You can have something that maybe perhaps you're making an outlandish claim. You know, that you can run a a sub eight second hundred meters, for instance. That would be an outlandish claim because no human being has yet to do that. And you could tell everyone in this room that, yeah, I can run a sub-eight-second hundred meters. But you saying it isn't going to make it so. Amen? But let's say you pull out a video that shows you running a sub-eight-second hundred meters. You see, what you said, though it was true, you cannot just simply tell people that it's true. You have to be able to prove that it's true for anyone to believe it. Jesus is now going to give three witnesses as to why what he said about himself is true, adding a fourth, basically three more, totaling four, fold witness of who he is. If I bear witness to myself, my witness is not true. He's not saying it's not true in the sense that it isn't true, but he can't bear witness just simply of himself. Anyone can do that. But if, in fact, he is who he says he is, and he can prove it by other means, then his words, in fact, are true, and that's exactly what's going to come out. But there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You've already met him. We had that in John chapter 1. Amen? Because here's John the Baptist, and we're going to see these three witnesses. John the Baptist comes on the scene. Remember what he says. Behold... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, I'm not, I'm not actually even worthy to tie a sandal. But it's him. So the first witness being John the Baptist, and he's going to go on and give two more, uh, and maybe even more important, uh, because he says this. You have sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth, and yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He's given the reasoning for coming in the first place. For he, that being John the Baptist, was the burning and shining lamp which you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Remember, people were actually getting baptized by John before Jesus got there. They were so convinced that he had some kind of messianic mission. They were so convinced that what he was saying was true that people were following him. He was a burning light. But I have, verse 36 says, a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. 
and that the Father has sent me. So he says, look, there's another witness. These things that I'm doing, these things that you've seen me do, and we're going to witness a whole plethora of these things. There'll be seven of them in total in John's gospel. If you add the rest of the gospels, there's at least 14 that are specific that are recorded in the gospels. But John actually says in chapter 20 that there were many that were not recorded. So the works that Jesus was doing, a.k.a. the man who's now wandering around the temple compound going, I was the guy that for 38 years stood at the pool of Bethesda and tried to get somebody to put me in the water and I wasn't healed. And Jesus came along and healed me. Those works. I was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And I'm telling you, there were jars of water, not jars of wine, but they turned into water when him, Jesus, said so. And we'll get all kinds of other evidence. And so Jesus says the works that he will be doing himself bears witness of him. Verse 37, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. But you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Same thing that Moses understood. Moses got to see, in essence, God's back, right? He never really looked face to face on the Lord. He was hidden in the cleft of the rock. Because Scripture is very clear that no one can see God and live. In your human form, if you see God in his godly form, uh, you're going to be evaporated, destroyed. Because his godliness is too great for us to see in the flesh. And so no one's actually seen him, in that sense, in his glory. However, you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for you think in them you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Now I want you to hang on for just a second. When Jesus said scriptures, you see, we immediately think about, how many of you have an Old and a New Testament sitting in your lap right now? You have both Testaments, amen? You've got a whole Bible, we would call it. You don't just have the New, maybe some of you do, but likely almost all of you have the Old and the New Testament. How many Testaments do you think there were when Jesus said this? There was exactly one. The New Testament had not been authored yet. It was in the middle of being made a reality before it was recorded. And so the scriptures that Jesus is talking about are exclusively the Old Testament scriptures. He's talking to a Jewish crowd about the Old Testament Tanakh. In other words, what we would call the Old Testament, the Jewish people would say, well, that's the writings and the prophets. That's the books of wisdom literature. And that's the Torah, the first five books of Moses. He's saying, the scriptures that you guys study, they testify of me. Their wheels are starting to turn. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. He says a lot of people that are innately religious 
Oh, they study the Bible like you can't believe. But when you talk to them, they use it as a holy baseball bat. Now, the word is true, and there are times when it does confront our lives, and it touches us in a way that we're supposed to have our attitudes and our actions altered by the word of God. But it is always the love of God that speaks forth the word of God. Even if that love is tough love. There still must be love involved in it. You don't have the love of God. You've been searching your own scriptures. You've been looking at what we call the Old Testament, and you have completely missed the scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the whole thing that points to Jesus. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. And if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. The beautiful picture is here, the rabbis had for 1,500 or so years been taking the Old Testament as we know it, trying to interpret it, and what God gave is a couple of dozen actual commands in the Old Testament, these things you shall do. They had by this time, through the rabbis, turned it into 613 rules, including the one that prevented the man from picking up his bed who had been healed at the pool of Bethesda and walking with it. So someone comes along that isn't God, but makes up a rule about God, a tradition that is supposed to be from God, and him you believe, but the Son of God is standing right before you, and him you do not hear. That's the problem we have in church today. When we can get together and do church, and we miss Jesus, and we miss the love of God, we have missed the whole context and the reason for having the word in the first place. Because the whole Bible testifies of the Lord Jesus. Old Testament and the New Testament. How can you believe who receive honor one from another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? How how can you How can you cling to that which man says and not cling to that which God says? We're going to see this in some detail in a moment. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. You see, the Jewish people venerated Moses idealized Moses, loved Moses, and still love Moses. The Torah are the first five books of Moses. They're busy about the things of Moses, but they weren't trusting what Moses was actually teaching. And I can tell you how we know that. Because that incredible picture there in Exodus chapter 12 of the Passover, Christ is the Passover. And as Moses taught on the Passover, as they experienced the Passover, as they were taken out of bondage in Egypt and set free by the blood that was put on the lintel and the doorposts, they completely missed Jesus. That was who they were actually being pointed to. They were not being pointed to Moses, 
who did not enter the promised land because of unbelief. But Moses was put on a pedestal. The only one who belongs on a pedestal is Jesus. No pastor, no teacher, no elder, no leader. The only one that you need to put on a pedestal is the Lord Jesus. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about, those are the words of Jesus, the great prophet Moses wrote about Jesus. He's saying, oh, can you imagine the, the gears going in their head? They're going, they're, okay, I'm going home. I'm going to go read the first five books again. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Incredible picture. You see this witness, the love of God, as, as Paul would write to Titus, that comes to us through what Christ has done. It comes to us in this passage in three very specific witnesses. First is the witness of John the Baptist. So here's this, this crazy man who's dressed in camel hair suits and he's wandering around in the desert, crying out a very specific message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he does this for a period of some months. And he gains this incredible following. And in that following, remember what we've already learned, are a whole bunch of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're running around following John, testing him. Trying to find out if he's an actual prophet or not. So when he gets the opportunity to speak about what he's doing, what does he say when Jesus shows up? In a paraphrase, this isn't about me, it's about him. The testimony of John the Baptist became so specific that John becomes emboldened so much so that he confronts the sin of Herod. He's going to lose his life for it. And the whole time he's saying, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. You, you see, when we think about who we're making sure people know, we need to remember what John actually said there in the first chapter because he quoted from the very scriptures that Jesus has now put into view for these who were Jewish. He said when Isaiah penned those words there in the 40th chapter of his book, what we call Isaiah 40, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Yahweh Adonai, Lord of hosts. And there he is. John's witness was of Jesus. But nobody wanted to hear it. They didn't want to believe it. He actually goes on to say, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah, but he says, look, I want to make sure you get this. I am unworthy to untie his sandal. So if you want to know why I'm here in the middle of the wilderness, and I've been eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in this camel, this camel hair, camels stink. 
They are a stinky animal. And here's this guy dressed in a camel, a wet camel now. He's in the water. I am unworthy to even tie or untie the sandals of the one whom I am telling you about. You talk about saying, look, don't look at me. You look at him. You know, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz thing I pointed you to. <laughs> don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. You pay attention to Jesus. You see, John was a local celebrity. And John said, don't follow me. You follow Jesus. The second thing was the witness of his miracles. By the time we get to the end of John's gospel, we're going to see seven of them specifically. But when you get to chapter 20, he's actually going to tell us there were many more that were not included in his writings. The reason being is those things testify. You see, you could say, you see, if, if we had a miracle healing service out here right now, and I take one of all y'all backstage and I go, be healed. You see, I can tell you all day long you're healed. But if that was you had a sniffle or a cold and you come back and you're not sniffling or you don't have a cold, maybe that's debatable. But if I bring you up here in front of everybody and you come with a withered hand and all of a sudden there's the hand, you kind of can't say much about that, amen? It is what it is. Jesus spent his time in Galilee doing exactly that to where the person who was dead in Lazarus's case, is going with Jesus into Jerusalem. Aren't you the dead guy? The man who was just at the pool of Bethesda. Weren't you here for 38 years? Didn't we see you down at the pool? And every time the water started to stir, you almost made it for 38 years. And now he's healed. Time and time and time and time again, Jesus, in a very public display of exactly who he was, did these things in front of massive crowds of people. We're going to get to one next. It'd be one thing if you made your lunch stretch to maybe 10 people, right? We could probably all do that. You cut it really small, kind of give everybody, oh, I feel full. We get to kind of have a little mass hallucination together. But when you show up with a handful of loaves and a few fish and there's 5,000 men plus women and children and then the disciples are wandering around, I have no idea how he did that because there were 12 baskets left. You're going to have thousands of people wandering around the region of Galilee. Yep, I was there at the Holy Picnic. And there was enough for everybody. And oh, by the way, there was more left than we started with. There's not much you can say. So those miracles form the backdrop of Jesus saying, look, when you see these things, I'm not doing them to be a showman. I'm doing them so that you will know that I am God. Jesus didn't just claim it. It wasn't just his own words. He actually did it. 
He took control over time. He took control over space. He took control over the physical universe. He took control over human beings. He cast out demons. He did everything that one would possibly expect God to be able to do one right after another. He just kept doing it. So those miracles done in public in front of all kinds of people, most of whom were not involved in the situation in any way, shape, or form. They were merely objective bystanders, much like you would see in a court of law today. If you have someone who's not engaged in the situation, who sees something happen with their own eyes, we call that an eyewitness, right? That testimony is almost incontrovertible. The person saw it. You can say you didn't see it. Now imagine that we have our technology called video cameras and cell phones. Here's the cell phone video of it. That's what happened. It's exactly what Jesus did in front of all kinds of people. Okay, well, you didn't see it, but there's no way that he and she and them and they and that group of people, that whole group on the hillside, they all saw the same thing. It happened. So the miracles testified of the Lord. And then the final witness, and this is the one that we'll kind of spend the rest of our time on. Who's the witness of the word? You see, what Jesus was saying to them was, you've been searching the Bible all of these generations. We would say you've been searching the Old Testament for all this time. You believe what Moses wrote in the first five books that you call the Torah. And so when they would go into the synagogue and there would be a reading of the Torah... They would be reading the words of Moses. And they believed Moses. But Jesus says, you know what? (laughs) Moses was writing of me. The prophets were writing of me. So much so that we today, because we have the wonderful ability to look back and gather all that information and dig into it and simultaneously lay it side by side and go through it, I can tell you that there are a minimum of 485 specific pieces of information about the coming one, the Messiah, contained in the Old Testament, that if you multiplied the odds out of any one person throughout the history of time, just take 24 of them, very specific things like where he would be born, when he would come to this earth, the 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 fact that he would be born of a virgin, all those things. You take the messianic picture that's painted in the Old Testament and assign that to one person, Ultimately, you come up with a number someplace in the general vicinity of one chance in 10 to the 157th power for just 24 of them. Now imagine that there were all of the authors of the Old Testament who wrote over a period of time that's almost a thousand years. They didn't get a chance to talk to each other. So the writings of David and the writings of Isaiah, can you imagine when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was nobody out in the crowd going, hey, you need to say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And yet David the prophet spoke those words a thousand years before Jesus said them. You see, the word itself was speaking of Jesus. The only Bible they had, the Old Testament, was telling them about him, and they were missing him. They got the greatness of Moses. So much so that the Passover was pointing to Jesus. 
So when they were delivered from bondage under Pharaoh, when the death of the firstborn was announced on everyone, remember it was not just announced on the Egyptians, it was announced on everyone who was there, including the Jews. If you were there, you were under the death of the firstborn. But they were given a way out. What was that way out? Take an innocent lamb, slaughter the lamb, and take the blood and put it on the lentil and the doorpost. They were being told, look, here's a cross, and it's going to be covered in blood, and you need to believe by faith because you know what? There, there wasn't going to be anything that was going to happen to you physically. You were going to have to believe that that blood was sufficient to keep you from dying. Guess who that was a picture of? Jesus. So Jesus is telling him, look, reread that passage. Sometimes when people come to me with a Bible problem, I'll say, make sure you read the passage really carefully. Read it again. You might actually answer your own question. The Holy Spirit may just speak to you. You see, the witness of the word is Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1. You can turn there for just a minute. I think this is really important. Verse 12, it says, For this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right that as long as I'm in this tent. So Peter's saying, look, I, I'm alive, I'm here with you. That you be stirred up by reminding you, knowing that I must shortly put off my tent. I'm going to die, just as the Lord Jesus showed me. Jesus told him he was going to die for his faith promise Peter that. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. What was the reminder of these things after Peter's decease? It was the very letter that you're reading that sits in your lap right now contained in what we call the New Testament. I'm going to give you a record of these things. There's a reason for that record. It's to remind you and then notice as he goes on, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this wasn't a story we just made up. This is not a religion. This isn't a group of people that got together and we wanted to worship, you know, somebody who was a human being, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, look, we, we didn't start a church. We were eyewitnesses of the majesty of of Jesus Christ. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from his excellent glory. In other words, there was glory given from heaven to earth. And he tells us, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from the heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So before Jesus ascended, Peter was there and he heard God's voice. And here comes the important part. If you don't have this highlighted, underlined, and circled in your Bible, circled this passage. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. The things that were spoken of about Jesus, 
Those who were eyewitness to his majesty wrote down their accounts. Peter was one of them. Paul was one of them. John was one of them. Luke was one of them. Mark was one of them. You get the picture? The book of Acts is filled with people who were around when Jesus was around. The reason you have the Bible is to testify of what happened by an eyewitness during the exact time that those things occurred. It's not second-hand information. It's a first-hand account of those who were actually there. Which you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. He says, one day the light's going to go on in your life and you're going to see that this is true. Knowing first, he says, get this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. When somebody comes to you and they say, well, I alone know what these passages mean, you can tell them, no, you do not. Because Scripture plainly states that no prophecy of Scripture, because God intended to tell us something by authoring his word, And so it wasn't done privately, it was done to us corporately so we could all know the truth. Now it helps to have an understanding of it, but there's no special interpretation. So if somebody comes and says, hey, I know when the rapture is going to happen, you can say, "Uh uh-uh. You can tell them, actually, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. You see, the reason we have the Bible is so that we can know Jesus, so that we can be saved. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says to these who were in the temple courtyard, you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have life, they are these which testify of me. He was once again saying, read your Bible. Because they'll tell you about me. I can imagine some of them went went home and grabbed their scroll of Isaiah if they had one at the house. uh Uh-oh. He's going to be the Prince of Peace? That the Messiah is going to be everlasting? Didn't Jesus just say he and Father God were... Oops. You can kind of see the lights go on. You see, but people are blinded to that truth. They had head knowledge. They didn't have heart knowledge. There was something wrong with surrendering their wills. And I I, I just want to remind you that, look, what we do here is, is about a relationship. It's not about head knowledge. Jesus wants you to know him personally. He came so that we would have life, and that life would be abundant. Jesus did not come to start a church. Jesus came to give people who are walking in darkness light so that they could be saved. He came so that we would have eternal life and that life would be abundant life. He came so that those that were lost could be found. He didn't come to start a movement. He came so that we would have a relationship with the God who created us. The way that that happens is our sins are forgiven. 
And so that's the mission he is now on. And he's going to be persecuted for it. Because the religion of the day was Judaism. And so as he's saying this, they're all going, you mean we've missed the message? Yep, you missed the message. Because the message was Messiah, and Messiah is standing right before you, and you don't even see him. Don't miss the message of the Scriptures. The message of the Scriptures is not some hidden thing that you can't understand. The message of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? That's why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we saw in the first chapter. That's the whole message. People ask you what the Bible's about. It's about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, offering eternal life to anyone who would believe in Him. Would you stand with me? We'll bring the worship team back up. One day, you're going to stand before that, that judge. The one that Jesus said about himself is the righteous judge who won't make any mistakes. The good news is you can stand before him in grace through faith. That just takes that you believe in his name. Don't miss that opportunity today. If you came in today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, We have a whole team of prayer warriors that would love to meet with you in the prayer room. And I would just simply invite you to go and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sin, and to make you a child of God. That's the reason that he came. He didn't come to make you a member of a church. That's a wonderful thing to do after you get saved. But until you've met him, all the church in the world like all the religion in the world in the times of Jesus, religion can't save you. Only a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords can save you. Don't miss that today. Father, thank you. Thank you that the gospel is simple and it is true. That you, Jesus, came into the world that the world through you could be saved. Lord, that you so loved us that you came, that you offered your life in our place. And I want to pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has not committed their life to you, that they would take advantage of this moment in time. Lord, it may not ever be offered again. And so I pray that they'd avail themselves of those that are in the prayer room right now and just offer up that simple prayer of faith believing in who you are, that you love them and you died for them and that you want them to spend eternity with you and you're willing to forgive their sin if you'll simply ask. And so, Lord, for any that have come today, would they make that profession? For the rest of us, God, this season that we're entering into, uh, Lord Jesus, you are the reason for that season. There is no other reason without you. uh, There's no reason for Christmas, Christ, Mass, Lord, we thank you for loving us, washing away our sins with your own blood. And so, God, this fourfold witness that you, Jesus, made, John the Baptist made, the miracles made, and your own scriptures made, we believe in that witness. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.